Good morning, Sunlight Church family. I've been invited to help you continue the process of doing some pre-Easter reflection as we get ready to celebrate the Savior's coming back from the grave, which changed everything, absolutely everything. Whether or not you personally grew up in a church that had a unique focus on Lent, John and the leaders thought that this would be a really appropriate focus for the church family at this season and in your history. And uh, they sought God's guidance on it and thought it was his wisdom, having no idea that you were going to have more time to reflect than anybody ever anticipated. So my hope and prayer is, I know along with the hope and prayers of your leaders, is that you'll really use this time to reflect on your own life and your own relationship with God and your growth and your maturity during this time that some people call Lent. Now, if you are like me, you grew up in a church where Lent was commemorated. That's probably the best word I could use. And it's likely that the main question that you remember having to answer every year during Lent was something like this. What should I give up this year? That might be, if you're like me, the question you remember most. What should I give up, quote unquote, give up for Lent? So as I think back on my childhood, for me and others that I know, Lent became a time for me to focus on not doing something or giving up something or even sometimes sacrificing something. Whether it's giving up chocolate for the sake of commemorating Lent or whether it was stopping a bad habit that I had developed in the previous year. Although that is part of what repentance and, and change and um, growth looks like, it certainly is not the main part of that. And that's one thing that John and the leaders are really hoping that you as a church family will grasp. And we're going to focus on that this morning. We're going to focus on what happens after repentance. If, if repentance is turning from a direction that finds you going away from God and his desires for your life, and turning and facing toward him and toward the way and the direction and the perspective he wants you to have, then what happens next? That's what we're going to think about this morning. And John has asked me to observe with you, to look over the shoulder of an Old Testament figure. We'll call him the boy king. His name, Josiah. So if you have your Bible or your device with your Bible on it nearby, turn to 2 Chronicles 34. 2 Chronicles 34, we read about this young man, actually this boy, we're introduced to him as an eight-year-old named Josiah. And Josiah is a great example of somebody who not only gave up something and repented from something, in this case, led a whole country, a whole nation in repenting against something, but he's a good example of someone who chased after renewal after he turned away from the directions that he and the people were going. And before I just look at pieces and parts of Second 
Chronicles chapter 34. Hopefully you're there by now. I, I just want to observe two things for you to keep your eyes open to. And I encourage you to spend some time reading and reflecting on this on your own. The first thing is that when we look at the life and the example of Josiah, and I believe that God has recorded quite a bit of detail for us for these very reasons, when we look at his example, he didn't settle on growing through subtraction. In other words, he didn't settle on becoming mature by just not doing certain things anymore. He didn't just choose to stop doing stuff that he knew he shouldn't have been doing. On the other hand, he repeatedly chose to add new things that he was doing. So when he he and, the, and when he led the people of Israel to turn away from idols, turn away from a direction of idolatry and all the things that are attached to that, and to turn toward God, he didn't just stop by saying, okay, we've stopped worshiping idols, so we don't have to worry about it anymore. Instead, he said, we're going to follow further up and further in, like C.S. Lewis described in the Chronicles of Narnia. We're going to follow more passionately. So you could use the words this way. He didn't settle for repentance. He wanted renewal also. He wanted to go further in the more positive directions that God wanted him to go. So with that in mind, look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1 and 2. And again, I encourage you to read this on your own and reflect on it by yourself later on today or later on this week. The passage begins, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. You remember some of the old movies where a boy becomes king and they're really spoiled, rotten, and everybody's trying to keep him from doing stupid stuff? Josiah was exactly the opposite of that, as we're going to read. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. So God brought him home when he was 39. Verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So the first thing that we learn is that Josiah lived a life that was consistently in a godly direction. And the second thing we learned is that he chose that at an early age. One thing to note on the side before we get back to thinking about renewal beyond repentance is that you might be like I was when I was in my early teenage years. You might be a child under 10. You might be in your teen years. You might even be in your 20s. And you might be thinking, you know, I'm just really not ready to think about things that seriously yet. I'm not, I'm going to do that later in life. I, I used to use this phrase in my mind, yeah, I'll think about that when I grow up. Now, I didn't have a definite age in mind. I thought at the time it might be in my late 20s. But I'll think about that when I grow up, about following God more closely and, and maybe making an impact on other people's lives as I do. But Josiah is an example, among others in the Bible that God's provided for us, that not only do we not have to wait, but we shouldn't wait. You might be a, a child. You might be a teen who already has received feedback from people, maybe from people older than you, either children or teens older than you, maybe even adults. You've received uh, feedback from them that you're already an example 
of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. And I would encourage you to be encouraged by the example of Josiah as we reflect on that today. So that's, that's the overview of the story. Now we're just going to pick and choose a few verses throughout chapter 34. Look down in verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, so if you do the math, he started when he was eight. It was now the eighth year of his reign, so he's now sweet 16. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, the scriptures remind us, he began to seek the God of his father, David. He began to seek. Now, it wasn't that he was ungodly before then, but you could say he's all in now. Something happened around when he was 16 years old. He decided, I'm all in. And again, some of you teens or children, or maybe even some of you adults who, like me, trusted Christ and decided to start following him during your younger years, you can relate to that. I was 14. I was 14, and I had a number of people that conveyed to me that, Steve, you're not just an important part of the church of tomorrow, but you're a vital part of the church of today. And I hope that if you're a, a child, a teen, even a, a college student, that, that you'll reflect on that, that you really are a vital part of the church of today. You don't have to wait until you're recognized to be more mature or older or at a different place on your journey, but you can have the impact that Josiah had when he was young, earlier in life than maybe you expected. As he as it uh, continues in verse 3, it says, in his 12th year, of course now he's 20, in his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, carved idols, and cast images. Under his direction, verse 4, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles, the idols, and the images. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He was 20 years old, but he was downright serious about helping Israel turn away from worshiping these dead, non-living, stupid idols and following God, their creator, the living God, in the way that God wanted them to. So he led the nation at that point in doing things he had already done. So you could say this is the period of repentance. He's getting all this stuff out and he's getting it all burned away and thrown away. And now he's turning with his heart and with the hearts of the people, even though he had been following God deeply for four years by now, by the time he's 20, he's now leading the people in more serious, depthy ways. And he included folks of all ages in the process. You know, I, recently, I've noticed something just as a modern-day illustration of this. I've noticed that there are more and more organizations in our country, and they may or may not be made up of Christians sometimes, but I'm sure there are Christian young people involved. There are more and more nations who are led by high school students and college students and folks in their 20s, who are going all in to protect the unborn. And it's been particularly inspirational to me because, frankly, my generation of Christians hasn't gone all in on that. And I am inspired and encouraged and wanting to follow on a national level what these younger people are leading us toward as far as protecting unborn from abortion. Well, in a 
modern-day illustration of what was going on then, that's exactly what Josiah was doing. He was leading people of all ages. And as we'll read here in a minute, he got people of all ages involved in this. Verse 8, chapter 34, verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, now he's 26, to purify the land in the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Isaiah, and Maziah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Oh, interesting. So now he's going beyond turning away from something and going in God's direction. Now he's actually leading in a positive way. So this is the renewal part on top of the repentance part. And the temple project is the first way this shows up. Josiah had been king for 18 years. He'd been leading strongly toward God for 10 years. But now we're at the point where he's leading them in a positive direction. So here's what happens as he does this. Skip ahead to verse 14. He forms a committee of guys and he, he delegates to them and he sends them on their way. And while they, this group of men he had appointed, while they, verse 14, were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses, which was a big deal. Because they found it somehow in the old temple building that they were remodeling. They found it because it had been lost. So it had not been read. And as we'll find in a moment, it had not been followed. So the priest finds the book of the law, verse 14, that had been given through Moses. We're not sure. It might have been the book of Deuteronomy or it might have been more than the book of Deuteronomy. We're not sure. Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And so he gave it to Shaphan, who was the project leader for the temple. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him. Here's what he says to the king. King, your officials are doing everything that's been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary, or project leader, informed the king, Hilkiah the high priest has given me a book. Not just any book either. Has given me a book. It says, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And look at the first part of verse 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And then he gave orders to his subcommittee to find out more about this and what his response as king should be to this. So as as Josiah is leading the people of Israel and walking himself in a godly direction, God <laughs> makes his word, at least a, a part of his word, available to them that they didn't even know they had. And they didn't, hadn't even read it. And then when he hears what's being read by his project leader, Josiah's response is, oh my goodness, where has this been all these years that, and we haven't been adhering to this. We haven't been following God in these ways. And, and so you, you could very literally say that God very uniquely made Josiah aware of new things that he wanted to see in the life of Josiah and the people through his word. Through his word. And notice his response. He wanted more. 
He tore his robes. He was sad. He was grieved that they hadn't been following. He didn't go back and say, yeah, but, but we did repent of, following, of worshiping all the idols and all that kind of stuff. And now we're going in a better direction. He didn't stay satisfied. He really wanted more. And you could say very clearly that Joshua, that Josiah experienced God's wind in his sails. So he sends this group off to, to ask a prophet, hey, prophet, what should the king do about all of this? What, how should he look at this? And here's the message the prophet sent back to Josiah. Look down in chapter 34, verse 26. Verse 26, here's what we read. This is the message the prophet once sent back to Josiah the king. Tell the king of Judah, that's Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, which is exactly what Josiah had done, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words that you heard that were read before him. Verse 27, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. And he goes on to give him a very special promise. He's, he goes on to say, even though the people of Israel are going to need to experience the consequences of their idolatry, because, Josiah, of your soft-heartedness, it's not going to be happening while you're alive. Wow. What a blessing. What an affirmation of Josiah's heart that, he would, that God would say that to him. So you could say, at least that Josiah really experienced God's affirmation, God's wind in his sails. He wasn't satisfied with his maturity to that point. He, he wasn't satisfied with how much he'd grown, with how much he'd matured. He humbly fell before God and he knew he needed to change more. He knew he needed to become more of a, in more of a renewed place of heart and soul. And I just want to just read ahead to chapter 35, verse 7, before we step back and make some observations. Next chapter, verse 35, verse 7. It says, Josiah provided for all the lay people. That means the people who were not priests. They were not leaders in the ministry. He provided for all the lay people who were there a total of 30,000 sheep and goats for the Passover offerings, and also 3,000 cattle, all from the king's own possessions. Yes, the king was rich, but also the king sacrificed. He sacrificed and he gave to all these people so they could participate in a Passover celebration that they hadn't for decades celebrated in. And it even goes on in the next verse, verse 8. His officials, in other words, the people on his subcommittee and the leaders beneath him, also contributed voluntarily King Josiah didn't make them do this. They also contributed voluntarily to the people and the priests and the Levites. Amazing. So this renewal that was going on, just like the, the repentance wasn't only for Josiah, it also impacted the people as he turned his heart and their hearts with his heart in God's direction, but also the renewal took the hearts of the people in that direction. Such an amazing example, isn't it? of what it looks like to move more, more deeply in the ways God wants us to move, more positively following him. So let's just 
step back, and we could probably choose more than three, but let's use this very inspiring example of Josiah to draw three applications into our life about what it looks like for us to chase renewal. And we know it's more than just turning away from something and intending to go a different direction with God. We know it requires action. We know it requires motion. So what are three things we can look at? And hopefully you'll be able to see this on the bottom of the screen as I'm going through it. The first one is this. We can learn from a Josiah that, that maturity happens or that we'll find ourselves maturing by being open to God, by being open to God producing new growth in our hearts as we bring our hearts to him through his word. And it really is important to use God's word that way. God's word isn't supposed to be a fact book. It's not supposed to be a history book where you just memorize dates and people's names. It's supposed to be a book that God uses as a tool, as we'll look at here in a moment, to shape our hearts, to do something inside of us, sometimes to make us aware of what he's going to do inside of us. God, when he takes us beyond repenting into chasing renewal, he brings us to a point where we find ourselves maturing by being open to God, producing new growth when we bring our hearts to him through his word. He didn't stop at repentance, did he? He built the temple. He celebrated the Passover. And it goes on to say it was one of the biggest Passover celebrations in many, many years in Israel. Back to the days of Samuel, which was way back in the kingly line. When we open our hearts to God's word, not just our minds, our growth and maturity, you could say, pick up speed. Because then we experience renewal. Let me give you a real practical example that's going on for me. As I've talked with people, as we're going through this unprecedented time, and that's the word for it in our society right now, as I've talked to people, I I put them in one of two categories. The category of anxiety or the category of frustration with people's anxiety. And I would say maybe two-thirds of the people I've encountered are very, very anxious Maybe not over the virus itself, but over people's response to the virus. I'm in that second category. And I'm, I'm very frustrated at how anxious people are and how panicky people are getting and that kind of a thing. So when I was spending some time with the Lord and his word and bringing my heart to him, he, he made me aware that I need to stop being critical of other people. Because I don't understand everything that's going on for them. I don't understand their perspective. I don't understand their history, their journey. And it's like, I just need to stop being critical. And that's the first thing that God made me aware of. You could say, that was my repentance. I need to turn away from my critical spirit. Maybe I wouldn't say anything out loud, but I sure, I sure was thinking it. But I needed to do more than just turn away from that if I want to experience renewal. Instead of only stopping being critical of them, I need to figure out a way to care for them. I need to figure out a way to pursue them, to love on them, to encourage them, to use this as an opportunity to urge them toward God in a relationship if they don't have one yet, or to deepen their dependence on God if they do have a personal relationship with Christ. You see the two parts to that? The move away from something and the moving towards something. 
there's a verse in the New Testament that I think illustrates how God wants his word to be used. It's 2 Timothy 3.16. And it's interesting, this, this verse starts out with the words, uh, with the word useful. Like God's word is useful when. Here's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So he gives four different ways that God's word can be useful. None of them talk about memorizing facts. None of them talk about knowing dates in history of the Old or New Testament. They talk about things that happen in our hearts, in our character. The first he uses is teaching. Teaching means to learn something new, like Josiah learned something new when he was exposed to a new section of God's word. Or maybe absorbing a new insight in a deeper way. Perhaps there's an area in your life that God has spoken to in the past, but you notice that he keeps taking you around the mulberry bush, so to speak. He keeps trying to guide you to think about it more deeply, and each time you think about it, reflect on it, pray on it, work on it, you get a little bit closer to where you sense he wants you to be. Teaching can involve that. Rebuking is when God sometimes will, like he did with me, Steve, you need to stop having a critical spirit toward people who are panicking right now. Rebuking is a redirection of a specific area in your life. Correcting. Correcting is replacing old thinking or old behavior with new thinking or new behavior. And that could be a very wide swath of possibilities like in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others, in our perspective on life, our perspective on eternity. Correcting. I... um, You won't be surprised to know this based upon what I just shared with you openly about my critical spirit, but when I was younger, I had a really large struggle, and I cannot use that phrase, really large, strongly enough, a really large struggle with sarcasm. And my struggle with sarcasm knew no depth and no ends. And it it became a, a battle in my life. And I spent several years during my college years struggling and striving to turn away from sarcasm and go a different direction. But my problem is I didn't let God's word correct me. I let it rebuke me, so I turned away from it, but I didn't let God's word correct me. And then I came across verses like Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is good and beneficial to building up others so that they can be encouraged in their walk. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that's when I started moving in a direction of correcting. And then that last word, training, it's allowing God to make me more of a lover of people, to use my words in ways that are constructive instead of, during my sarcastic years, destructive ways. Training, patiently allowing God to raise us as his children. And there's patience involved in that. There's there's strength involved in that. And notice how the verse ends. So that we can be thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. 
every good work, every impact area of impact we have on other people, as we chase renewal, our impact on the lives of others will grow. It'll have a ripple effect, just like it did for Josiah. Let's, let's take a look at a second application area. A second way that we can look at Josiah and look at some other verses in the New Testament and think about what our maturing looks like, what it involves. The second one is this. Maturing by being eager to find new areas to depend on God. Maturing by being eager to find new areas to depend on God. As you deepen your trust in Him every day. As you deepen your trust in Him every day. So in other words, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, is much more than stopping a bad habit or a sinful behavior, like I grew up thinking about in Lent. Instead, it's becoming more like Christ in a variety of positive, action-filled ways. So 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, I think sums it up better than any small section in the New Testament, although most of the New Testament speaks to this theme. Look at what 2 Peter verses one, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 says. It says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities, notice these words, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I think of that phrase, increasing measure, I think of examples in the Old Testament like Josiah. He was demonstrating a number of these things in increasing measure. He wasn't just turning away from something, he was being renewed and he was choosing new areas of growth and dependence and ways to obey and follow, follow God more personally. So let's look at those real briefly. I encourage you to spend some time reflecting on these on your own. It says, add to your faith. Now notice, faith is the foundation. We need to add to your faith the following things. In other words, these things aren't possible unless you have a personal relationship with Christ. So these are things that are built upon knowing Christ and having a friendship with him. These are not things that will earn you a relationship with Christ. These are things that will flow out of a relationship with Christ. So if you've come to the point that you believe that God loves you personally and that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took your sins and the, and the consequences of your sins on his shoulders and you've put your trust in him, then what I'm about ready to say are areas in your life that can be a positive part of your renewal, of your future, of your ways of going further up and further in. Add to your faith goodness. Goodness, we use the word virtue in Old English vocabulary. Virtue is the opposite of what? Of vice. So he's not saying here, add to your faith in absence of vices, because that would be repentance. He's saying, replace your vices with virtues. With knowledge. And knowledge isn't just knowing about God. It's knowing God more personally. Self-control. 
if you followed the first three, adding to your faith goodness and your, to your goodness knowledge, you'll notice that your vices are going to be replaced by stuff and you're not going to be as out of control of your vices. To self-control, perseverance, which means endurance or patience. To perseverance, godliness, personal character to be more like Jesus is what I think Peter's after there. To godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is practically caring for others. You know why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love? Sometimes today people call it the city of brotherly shove. But it's called the city of brotherly love because that's the Greek word we get from which we get the words brotherly kindness. It's practically caring for the needs of others. And finally, add to brotherly kindness love. Love. The new commandment. This is my new command. I want you to love others as I have loved you, Jesus said in the upper room to his disciples. Focusing on the needs of others. And notice, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from what? From losing your relationship with God? No, that's not what he says. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your relationship with God. In other words, if you're moving out in a positive direction, the reality of your relationship with God is going to have an impact, a ripple effect on other people. And that's the third observation I'd like to draw before we wrap up. Third observation is this. Maturing by being intentional about finding new ways to impact other people. Being intentional about finding new ways to impact other people as you show God's love more vividly. Sometimes we think about personal growth that even during the time of Lent up to Easter, we think about it as being a private thing. But if growth is really experienced and if positive movement is really made and renewal is experienced, it's not private. It's very public. And it does have that ripple effect that I've mentioned. Josiah mentioned, we we showed how Josiah impacted other people when not only did he give thousands and thousands of his of his livestock to be sacrificed during the uh, celebration of Passover, but also we see that Josiah's assistant leaders, <laughs> the people on the subcommittees, also did that. He impacted others. He invited and included them in how he was growing. And that's really important to think about. When you grow, you're not just growing in your own vacuum. When you grow, part of your the impact you're going to have is sharing how you're growing in your relationship with God with others. And he provided also lovingly for them so they could grow. I would, I would venture to say this. One of the most positive signs that you're experiencing renewal in your life, beyond repentance, that you're experiencing this positive movement to become more like Christ in some of the ways we've been thinking about. One of the best signs is when you notice yourself thinking about other people more and more and thinking about yourself less and less. I think that's one of the best signals that you're actually experiencing growth. And wow, is this time in our history, this month in our history, is that not an ideal time to do that? We have so many people consumed with their own fears with their own protection, with their own safety, that anybody that shows any measure of interest or other-centeredness 
It's like a bright light in front of a dark background. And that's what we have an opportunity to do and to be. That's what Jesus was getting at. If you look on the bottom of your screen in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he said, let your light, and this is the kind of thing he's talking about, the difference that people see in you, the, the love, the other-centeredness, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and do what? And praise your Father in heaven. When people see that in us, they're attracted to him. Quick example, my daughter's a nurse. She works in a heart unit in Ohio. And she had a patient the other day. It was one of the, the it was the Thursday or Friday when all, every, the news was changing every 15 minutes. And she had a patient that came in who wasn't even anxious about all the other things going on in the world. He was anxious about his heart procedure. And, and he, she was with the patient the entire time of this procedure. And a couple hours later, she was walking him out in his wheelchair out to the lobby. And on the way out, he said something to her that really illustrates what Jesus is describing in Matthew 5.16. He said to her, you know, the only person in my life that can calm my anxieties is my wife. But she wasn't able to be there with me during my procedure. But from the moment I was in that room, I know that you were trying to calm me, comfort me, and you've been very attentive to me, and you've taken good care of me, and I just want to thank you for that. Now, what's interesting is my daughter would never have experienced that kind of affirming thank you from a patient if she had been locked in and only focused on her own thinking, on her own situation, on the own uncertainty she was feeling. But she decided to step outside of that by intentionally finding ways to impact other people. I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to do that individually. I would encourage you to text somebody this afternoon to give somebody a call and say, how, how can we move toward this other person that we have a common relationship with, a common friendship with? Maybe it's a person who is a, maybe they're a, a lonely Christ follower. Maybe they're a person who's not yet convinced of God's personal love for him or her. Whoever it may be, I would encourage you to think, how can we intentionally move into their life so that we can be a more vivid picture of God's love for them. Well, you need to repent of being self-focused to become other-centered. And then you can't just stop there. You need to keep moving toward them in a way similar to the way my daughter did about a week ago. I really hope as you carry the great news of this special gift of God's word to us into your lives, that you will notice you making an impact on other people. And Aaron, you said as we would leave a service, what are the words that are normally used at sunlight? To allow God to move through you. And I think, I think the, the sky is the limit right now with the deep and distinct ways you can make an impact. And I'll be praying beside you as you do.